Well, good morning, Village Bible Church. It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke this morning, to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you and turn to page 855, page 855, as we are in week two of our Christmas series that we've entitled The Original Christmas Carols. And we learned last week that uh, the tradition uh, and really the uh, great involvement of music around this celebration of Christmas uh, comes from Luke's first two chapters of his gospel, where we are given by the four uh, original uh, Christmas carol writers songs uh, that he shares in Luke 1 and Luke 2. Last week we learned about Zechariah, who learns of the coming of John the Baptist, the forerunner, and how that young baby was going to be born into an aged family's life. Uh, An old man and an old woman were about to have a child, uh, one that would prepare the way for the Lord. And and in response to what God had done in their life, Zechariah just opens up in song. And we looked at Zechariah's song last week, and we talked about uh, the importance of recognizing that God does amazing things in our lives. And today, uh, we turn to, as you've just seen on the video, uh, to the life and times of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to learn how she breaks forth in song after hearing what seemingly is a very troubling uh, appearance and, and statement from the angel Gabriel and how she responds with faith and a reliance on God and in doing so gives us an example of how we are to respond when God comes calling our name. But before we do that, let me share a short prayer for us and our time in the Word. Father God, we come before you, and again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and praise your name. Lord, I'm so thankful uh, for what you're doing in this place today, both here and also in the hundreds of people that are in the gym right now, uh, rejoicing and praising through the example of our children, the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I pray that the uh, thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my mind will be pleasing to you in all ways, and we give you this time for you to receive all the glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as uh, we come to this subject matter of songs, I was struck this last week by the idea that songs are used at times uh, to elicit emotions in our lives. Uh, We uh, did a study out of the book of 1 Samuel, and we learned that David would be used in a marvelous way by playing music on his harp to soothe a troubled King Saul. And that music was a a key way that that uh, would take care of some of his depression and some of the, the stress that was going on in the king's life. Well, I found out about a story this last week of the country music singer Travis Tritt. He was speaking in an interview talking about the early times that he had playing in those backcountry bars, uh, places that you would have never heard of, and he'd say, we would be going on and playing, and, and inevitably, at some point, someone would try to hit on someone else's girlfriend, someone would say something about a political issue, something would happen, and a brawl would break out. And he said, every time uh, the brawl would break out, the question was, what should we do? Well, one particular time in the southern part of Texas, a brawl broke out in the bar that Travis was playing in. And he was wondering, man, this is getting really dangerous. I mean, uh, pool cue sticks were being used as weapons. Guys were yelling, we're going to our trucks to get our guns. It was becoming a dangerous situation. And Travis doesn't remember why he did it, but on his guitar, he began to pluck uh, on the strings the song Silent Night. And he began to sing into the microphone, Silent Night. 
And what began to happen utterly amazed him. Grown men, I mean manly men, big bearded men, uh, wearing all kinds of leather from their Harley-Davidson motorcycles, began to stop. Some men even began to cry. This would become his way of keeping the peace. He says it's amazing how music can soothe the savage beast. Well, we all know that there's songs that when we're troubled, when we're hurting, when we are finding ourselves in places of doubt, we turn on that song, that song that maybe takes us to a place of peace, a place of tranquility. The song we look at this morning, though, is not a song of peace. Though it would be sung by a very peaceful individual, I mean, how much more peaceful can you get than a young peasant girl singing praises to her Lord? But this song would be revolutionary. A couple people have made quotes about this song that I want to share with you. E. Stanley Jones, a famous pastor, once said of this song, it is the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said that he instructed all of their missionaries that were serving in India never to read these words or to sing these songs in public because they would incite riots in the streets. Another modern writer once put it this way, as you read the lyrics of Mary's first carol, you can sniff the powder of dynamite in the air. Mary is singing a revolutionary song. She's going to sing a song about this son that was promised hundreds of years beforehand that the coming of the son was going to overturn the world as we know it. But as we look at the life and times of Mary, we come to a, a realization that she serves as an example for us, an example of what to do when, when our lives are turned upside down, when God maybe starts calling us in a different direction than we ever thought. I want us to look very quickly this morning at three things. I want you to see how Mary moves from a place of anxiety to acceptance to adoration this morning. We're going to do so by looking uh, at the text that's before us. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and then we'll get into the song that we'll find in verses 46 through 55. Notice with me that first of all, we see as we look at Mary's life and Mary's time when she would be singing this song, it began in a place of anxiety. It involved itself in a place of anxiety. Notice in uh, verse 29 what, what we are told. We are told, in fact, uh, let's start in verse 26. In the sixth month of uh, angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Let's stop there and let's just get a setting of what's going on because we're going to see that this young woman is going to start being anxious about something. We need to find out a little bit more about her. First of all, we need to recognize this morning that he gives us four pieces of information Luke does as the writer. He says, first of all, that this is the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. Now, we learned about Elizabeth last week. And so we know that Elizabeth now has, has had to her exactly what was promised. She was going to give birth to a baby, and we're six months into the nine-month pregnancy of that time. And that's going to come into our equation later on in the message. The second thing that we need to recognize is that we learn that Mary lives in a city uh, named Nazareth. It's a backcountry town uh, known only for one thing, that nothing good comes from it, if you remember, right? When people talked about Jesus, they said, what good thing can come from Nazareth? It did not have the best of reputations as a town. 
The third thing that we see is that we're told an angel, his name is Gabriel, appears to a virgin named Mary. And we're told that Mary is a virgin, which speaks of her purity, and it says that uh, she's old enough and, and ready to be uh, married. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. The final thing that we learn in these couple verses is that she was favored and graced by God for a particular purpose and role. And so what would cause this woman, who seemingly is living her life, doing what she's called to do, what would cause her to be anxious? Notice in verse uh, 20, uh, let's see here, 28, and Gabriel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now let's stop there for a moment. Notice in the phrase that when the appearance takes place, we recognize and we seemingly recognize that every time an angel comes into uh, play, that people freak out, right? Uh, and I don't have any bad words or hard words for them. If an angel appeared before us today, I think at least this side would freak out, right? I think we're all going to freak out. I think that would be a pretty majestic and marvelous sight. Gabriel standing in our midst. We weren't expecting it. He didn't say he was coming. And all of a sudden, there he is with all his majestic uh, radiance and, and all that no doubt an angel would bring. And she's greatly troubled. That phrase, greatly troubled, literally is a word that's full of meaning. It, it means the following. Literally, it means to be troubled to the limits, uh, to be acutely distressed, to be distressed through and through, to be agitated greatly. It, it, it means literally the emotion that causes one to intensely go back and forth between one's inner thoughts and emotions. It's used only here in the phrase in, in Luke 1.29. While none of us, no doubt, have had an experience or, or a connection with the angel Gabriel. If you have, come and talk to me. I want to find out more about that. But none of us probably have ever had that take place. There's no doubt in this world, just as in Mary's day, that some of us find ourselves greatly troubled, greatly agitated, uh, finding ourselves troubled to the fullest. In fact, this last week I was talking with a friend, a close friend of mine, and, and we were driving in the car and and talking, and he was telling me about his situation and, and where he's at in life, and, and he began to tell the story, and it's in many ways a very frustrating story. And as he was telling me more and more about the story, my friend just began to break down in tears. And he says, I don't know how much more I can handle of this. I'm not sure I can do this for much longer. I know God loves me, but I'm so anxious. I'm so troubled. He was so troubled, you know, there were no words, and you, you'll know what I mean by this when, when I sat there and I'm begging the Lord, Lord, give me something that will help this guy. Give me a word that will encourage him. And the Lord just said, that's when you pray for him. Just pray for him, Tim, because there's no easy solutions to the problems that, that are before him. My friend was greatly troubled and had reason to be so. The next thing that we need to recognize is that anxiety doesn't come just because we saw an appearance of, of an angel. Notice in the text that it articulates that she's trying to figure out, she's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What's the greeting that, that's taking place? She's announcing uh, to um, Mary uh, information. And Mary's trying to discern it. And I want to remind us this morning through Mary's example that there are three reasons why we become anxious in our life. The first one is we become anxious when life throws us a curve. 
when life throws us a curve. I want you to notice and imagine with me for a moment, you're Mary. You're living in Nazareth. You're enjoying married life, or I'm sorry, not married life, young woman life, okay? You're doing what young women do. You're working in the home, no doubt. Uh, You're hanging out with your friends. You're looking forward, I'm sure at this point, being betrothed to, to Joseph. All of the talk, all of the conversation is, when will Joseph come? Because you need to understand something about Middle Eastern uh, marriages. The groom always comes as a surprise to the bride. It isn't one of those save-the-date kind of moments. The groom would come at a moment's notice, and so Mary had to be prepared at any time and, and, and at any place in her life that her groom may come, and, and if you will, take her to be a part of the wedding ceremony. So no doubt during this time, there's great preparation going on. There's great preparation of all the plans and and ideas. No doubt in in Mary's life as she's talking with her friends, she's talking about what it's going to be like to be married, what it's going to be like to, to start a family. She had dreams, she had wishes, she had goals in life. And here's this angel standing before her, and what does he say? Everything you've planned for, everything you anticipated, Everything that you had in your calendar or to-do list to, to see accomplished, everything you were hoping for, all the things that you had mapped out in your mind, they ain't going to happen. At least they're not going to happen the way you anticipated them. You're not going to see them happen as you dreamed them. And here's what go- is going to take place. In that moment, Mary recognizes her life will never, ever be the same again. Some of us are dealing with anxiety this morning because we have been thrown a curve. Maybe uh, it was unexpected news, maybe a a broken relationship, uh, maybe uh, a problem that we didn't see coming, uh, and, and it changes our calendar. The things we were planning, the things we were anticipating not too long ago, now all of a sudden have been put on hold. We're not going on that vacation. We're not doing that thing, that, that pursuit of an education, that pursuit of, of, of a relationship. It's not going to take place. Everything that we planned and dreamed about is gone, and it's in those moments that I know I feel great anxiety. What is tomorrow going to bring? Now, notice the second thing that we see. Anxiety comes not only when life throws us a curve, But when we are anxious, uh, we become anxious when God gives us a calling. When God gives us a calling. I want you to recognize that uh, in verse 30 through 34, Gabriel starts speaking to what is going on. He says, okay, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So Gabriel says to Mary, here's how it's going to happen. You're not going to be like your friends. You're not going to live life like your mom did or your grandma did. You're not going to have the same goals and focuses that your friends do. Your life is going to be unique. It's going to be totally different. And it's going to have roles that are going to stretch you. It's going to have involvement that's going to test your faith. It's going to cause you to have to be obedient even when every fiber of your body says that way seems nonsense to me. And yet what we will see is that God is calling her to something. 
You see, God was calling her to one of the, to, in fact, probably the most unique role that any human being would play. Within her would be conceived the Son of the Most High God. She would have the unique role of raising the Son of God from infancy. She would be the one who would teach him. She would be the one who would love him more than anyone else would. She would be the one who would nurse him and, and minister to him in a way that only a mom could, and it would try the very essence of who she is. She knows in accepting this role that there's gonna be mockery. She knows that, that there's a chance that her, her uh, engaged fiance may walk away. She recognizes, as we learned in the video, that the chief priest and the elders of the community may bring her out into the city center and stone her for adultery. She's recognizing not only that her life will never be the same again, but her life is gonna be so unique that nobody will ever live it as she did. And that's why Elizabeth announced to her she is favored above all women. What a role that she plays. And it's in those unique opportunities when God calls us to roles, when God calls us to ministries, when God calls us to even small steps of faith that we become anxious. I remember it's about 12 years ago that I began my role here as a pastor. And I remember there was an excitement about the possibility I could feel that magnetic calling of God and the affirmation of God's people. And then I remember as we got closer and closer to uh, the time where I would begin to uh, take over this role, anxiety filled my heart. Questions of doubt. I remember for, for a three or four week period, the only thing I could think of, I know you guys are gonna think this is crazy, the only thing I could think of is what happens when I run out of sermons. What's gonna happen when I got nothing more to say? And I remember thinking, uh, I'm a young guy, I was about 25, 26 years of age when, when I began to fill into this role, and I'm thinking, well, I don't have a lot of wisdom, I don't have a lot of experience. In fact, I've never pastored a church before. I have very little education. I, I haven't lived a long time to be able to, to pull from life experiences. I, I don't know what to do. And so, Lord, why are you drawing me into this? And, and I thought for a long time that, that the sins of my youth were finally starting to catch me up, that God was going to say, okay, you know, you messed around too much as a kid, and here's how I'm going to, to deal with you once and for all. You're going to fail so miserably in this task that everybody will look and they'll laugh. And anxiety filled my heart. No doubt many of us have been asked by God to do something. Maybe it's a small step. Maybe it's a larger step. And we say, but I can't do it. Do you know the number one excuse we get from people here as to why they can't serve is what happens if I can't do the job? And what we learn from Mary is, is that we don't need to be qualified per se. We don't need to have all of the, the ducks in a row. Mary was a young teenage girl living in a small town and God was going to use her in such a unique way that it would change the world. And she didn't have all that she needed. I think of the phrase that I was reminded of when, when I was really struggling with anxiety, that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I began to let that marinate in my own spirit. That's right, maybe I wasn't qualified for this calling, but it sure is now as I look now, 12, 13 years into this process, I'm amazed at how my God has qualified me in this process. 
and doing the calling that he's called us to. And so here before you, you may be wondering about this task that God's given you, this calling that he has. You say, I can't do it. There's no way I'll be able to accomplish it. Mary's a reminder that with God, all things are possible. Notice the final thing that we see with regard to anxiety. We have anxiety when we think we could fail, when we think that we could fail. What a task before this young woman. The fear and the dread in that moment. You want me to do what? Do you know what you're asking of me? Must have been questions that she asked. I'm just a young girl. I don't know all these things. And, and what happens if, if this happens? What happens if I... Never been a mom before? What if I'm a bad mom? What if I don't feed him the right stuff? What if I lose him? We know that happened. Remember, they're in the temple and Jesus hangs in the temple. Talk about dread. The other day we were in Walmart and we couldn't find Luke and I was worried I was gonna look like a bad father. I don't know where my children's at. Think about you lost the son of God. My goodness. I mean, Luke's important, but this is Jesus. What if I fail, God? Some of us are unwilling to do the things that God has called us to for the singular reason that we are afraid we will fail. And here's the thing, you could fail. But I would far rather fail doing what God has called me to do than be successful outside of his calling. And so Mary says, hey, I may fail. It's caused her great distress. She has no idea what's before. She's a young woman, and, and she's not uh, in any way to know what's going to take place. And yet she's willing. I remember early on with, with Noah, Amanda was teaching over at Washington Middle School in Aurora, finishing up her, her year, and uh, Noah was born, and there was a time of about six weeks that uh, we needed to uh, have Noah go with me to work. And so Noah would go with me to the catering shop for six weeks. It was a manly time of, uh, of connecting and, and all of that. And, and I remember the first day I had him, okay? And this is gonna tie some, some dots together for you. The first day I had him, his head was hit by the car door on a windy day. I almost dropped him, and then we were driving, and, and I was in the car heading home, just trying to get the kid home alive, because I'm the worst father known to man, and he starts crying, and it's this, not just this little cry, he's screaming. And I know that his binky's out of his mouth, and so I grab the binky, I'm still driving, you gotta keep your eyes on the road, so I'm still looking, and, and I go to put this binky in his mouth, and he's crying more and more and more. I'm like, take the dumb binky, kid. I'm about done. And I look back, and what am I doing? I'm trying to put the binky into his right eye. <laughs> I was a failure. An utter failure, Amanda, amen that. I, I, I didn't tell her these things until years later when we knew there would be no vision issues. And gotta be honest with you, when we enrolled him to, to kindergarten, they did the vision test, I'm like, you know, I, man, I hope he doesn't say, you know, I can't see out of this right eye, am I supposed to? I was a failure. But here's the amazing thing. God was in control. And when I felt pretty small as a dad, God said, get back up, tomorrow's a new day, and you're gonna make this happen. Mary did not take a big step of faith in one giant step. She took it one day at a time. And it allowed her to move from anxiety 
to move to what I want to call acceptance. She was able to accept her calling and role. Notice in this world that that this young woman would experience such peace and and such faith amidst such crazy expectations. An angel standing before her and saying that she's going to be a part of something that nobody has ever been a part of. She couldn't go buy a book, you know, listen, five ways to raise the Savior of the world. There was no book for that. She couldn't go to her mom and say, hey, mom, um, by the way, I I know, I just want you to know I'm still a virgin, but I'm having a baby. What's that like? She couldn't do that. Hey, hey, mom, uh, the son of the most high God is going to be given to me to care for. Can you help me by telling me how you raised me and some of the ways that I can do that? She was in uncharted territory. And yet notice As crazy as it was, she responds with acceptance. Look in the text. The text tells us in Luke chapter 1, after she has told us to how this will all take place, in Luke 1, verse 38, she says, Behold, I'm your servant. I'm the servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, Mary understood that she didn't understand the situation. But what she did understand is if God's calling me to this, he's gonna take care of all the, the places in between that calling. And I'm able to accept the only job that I'm called to when God calls me to something is say, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. But how would God help her in that process? Notice we see, first of all, that God shows the certainty of his promises. Notice to accept, Mary recognizes that there's a certainty to God's promises. When Gabriel shares the news, he doesn't do it as you and I might share. If you and I were were Gabriel and we were behind this plan, this is how it might go. Hey, hey Mary, it's Tim, and and I've got a plan. I, I think God's got a plan for you. And I think what God's calling you to do if you really cross your fingers and, and really hope and wish that God's going to do a miracle in you. Never seen it happen before, but if we really, really trust that maybe it might take place, and because of your role as mother, you're gonna be a part of changing the world. But let's pray that everything goes as it should, right? That's how we talk when we plan and, and when we dream and, and when ideas come to mind. There's so many things that we're not thinking about So many things that could go wrong, but notice when Gabriel shares the word of the Lord, he does so saying that things will go forward without a hitch. I'm going to have you help me with this this morning, and you're going to have a couple times before the end of this service that you're going to speak on uh, on behalf of me. Notice, uh, Notice every time you will see the word will in our text as I read. And what I want you to do is when you hear the word will, I want you, this is your chance to talk in church, I want you to count for me each of the instances that the word will comes up in our text. Notice, and let's start in verse 35. And the angel answered her. How's it gonna happen, she asks. The angel answers her. The spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative in her old age has also conceived, and this the sixth month with her, 
uh, will, uh, sorry, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now go back a, a couple verses. Uh, go back to, uh, let's see here. Verse 30, he goes on and he says, uh, so back up a little bit. Uh, what number are we on? Four. Okay. So, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will Give to him the throne of his father David, and he will over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Ten times God says, this is going to happen. No doubts, no provisos, no quid pro quo, nothing like that. No contingency plan. What I'm announcing to you, Gabriel says, is the word of the Lord. And Job 42.2 says, no one can thwart the will and plans of God. So why could she have acceptance? Because God had promised this is going to happen. Number two, there's creativity to the plan. Notice the creativity. Like any faithful or curious person, Mary asks the question, how is all this going to take place? And, and she's told, eh, what's going to take place? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. We're told of the incarnation. Now, she had never heard anything like this before. Nowhere, listen, in the Old Testament had it ever said, and this is exactly how it's going to play out. There were veiled references that a virgin will, will be a part of this plan. Uh, there's word that Bethlehem's going to be a part of this plan. But, but the whole idea of the incarnation was still a veiled understanding that the Most High God would enter into the world through human flesh, that he would make his dwelling among us. And notice that this must have been a very hard thing for her to understand, and yet she responds with acceptance, okay. And it had to be difficult. No doubt there may have been doubts in her mind. And here's how God helps her. And here's how God can help us. When God calls us to big plans, usually God gives you a little appetizer to know that everything's going to be okay. So, so the big plan is you're going to conceive in you the son of the most high God. That's big. How can I know that this is all going to be true? How, how can I know that, that what you're saying is really going to come to fruition? Notice what Gabriel says, hey, your cousin, I mean that old lady, Elizabeth, the one who was called barren, she's in her sixth month. The reason why you can believe me, Gabriel says, uh, with this big plan, is God is going to show you on a lesser scale a miracle that you can believe in. And God is doing miracles, little miracles around us. God is, is no doubt in, in, in our lives showing us little steps of faith that others are taking. Why? So that we can know that God has a plan. There's creativity to the plan. And so here's the thing that Mary can know. If God can make Elizabeth pregnant, then why can't he do what he's going to do in me? He's going to. It's going to take place. Notice the credentials regarding his power. In verse 37... So Mary knows, okay, this, this amazing thing is going to take place. And it's going to challenge the very depths of, of who I am. And every time she would be concerned. 
Every time she would wonder, is this going to turn out the way God said it would? Verse 37 would be her rallying cry. For nothing will be impossible with God. That was the balm for her soul. Every time a doubt would come into mind that she wasn't gifted enough, that she didn't have the experience enough, every time she wondered if she was doing a good job, she could always go back to the fact that nothing is impossible with God. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that against all the, the news in the world? Can you say that even though the turmoil that may be going on in your life, that there's nothing impossible with God? Here's your second opportunity to talk in church. I want you to, to share this word. There's nothing impossible with God. I'm gonna give you some scenarios, and I hope that this will be a reminder for us. Maybe this Christmas money's tight. Maybe you're wondering how you're gonna make ends meet. Maybe uh, the job that you were hoping was going to come in didn't, and, and as a result of that, you're not sure what the end of the year is going to look like, and you find yourself filled with despair because the money just isn't adding up. In those mo in moments when money seems to be running out, what do we need to be reminded of? What? Nothing. Help me out here. Let's talk like we actually believe it. Nothing is impossible with God. You're in a dead-end marriage and your relationship's falling apart. Seems as if your spouse isn't wanting to even try anymore. And as a result of that, you're living in a place of total despondency. The marriage you looked forward to years ago now is nothing but two people passing along in the night. In that moment, when you think your marriage is all but done, I want to remind you of a truth. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you're under a burden right now. Maybe the boss has got you on a deadline that you don't think you'll ever be able to accomplish. That you think that, that because of this, your, your job may be um, up for grabs. And as a result of that, you find yourself up in the middle of the night lamenting and, and wondering if, if you're going to be able to accomplish it. I want to remind you that there's nothing that's impossible with God. Maybe you got medical news. And the medical news was as dire as, as you could ever imagine. And they say, there's, there's not much we can do for you in this. We know we're hearing this from people within our church right now who are getting devastating news. And, and we can say, well, they're the experts. They're the ones that know. They've seen the test results. And the test results say, you're in trouble. Things aren't going to be good. Your days are numbered. In those moments when we are filled with despair that our life is over, we can remember as Mary did, listen, that nothing is impossible with God. You see, Mary was able to accept what was being asked of her because she knew that God is the God of the impossible. But notice, as she accepts this, she does not accept it as many of us do. All right, God, you're God. I, I, I got to do what you say. Um, I mean, if I don't, you're, <laughs> you're going to beat me up. You're going to come down hard on me. Your wrath is going is to come after me. Mary doesn't respond in that way. In verse 46, she heads out to her um, cousin Elizabeth's house. And she doesn't say, you know what, Elizabeth, my life is ruined. God has ruined my life forever. He's brought question into my relationships. Uh, 
I'm even here in some ways to, to protect my own reputation right now because I'm starting to show myself and, and, and things aren't, aren't looking good. She doesn't say any of that. She stands in the living room of Elizabeth and she utters absolute words of adoration. Notice what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Doesn't sound very begrudging, does it? Doesn't sound like, well, this is my duty. She delights in the calling. And notice this calling that she accepts, she accepts with adoration, with great adoration. Why, why would she do that? What, what, what could come of, of such a calling that she would be filled with rejoicing? It's in this song that we learn why we should be filled with rejoicing this Christmas. Three things and I'll then release you. The first one is, is that we are reminded that God rescues the helpless. That God rescues the helpless. Mary's a young girl, she's no political analyst, she's not a political pundit, and yet she knows that what she's announcing to Elizabeth, that the son that she's about to give birth to is gonna turn the world upside down. And that what is going to happen in verse 51, she says, is the following, that he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's coming to the rescue. Notice the phrase in verse 51, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. Listen, God with Jesus Christ in, in the womb of Mary is an announcement that God is flexing his muscles that God is gonna to come to the rescue. Some of us are wondering right now, with all the turmoil and all the struggles that are going on in life, is God big enough to deal with these answers? We watch the governments of the world trying to, to make sense of all of these problems and, and seemingly more questions come up as they try to figure out what to do. But there's no question with God. God recognizes and knows that he is the victor. That's why Christ could say on the cross of Calvary, it is finished, it's over, I've won. And so here's the thing that you and I need to remember, with all the turmoil and all the calamity, both nationally and internationally and even personally in our lives, we have a God who says, I'm coming to the rescue. We fall in love and we go in droves to movies to see superheroes on the stage. Let's be reminded that the greatest superhero in the world came into this world as a baby. His name was Jesus. Notice the second thing that he says. She says, she says that he exalts the humble. In verse 52, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You see, there's people in this world that think that they've got it all figured out, that they've got uh, the world is their stage. 
They can do whatever they want. And God announces that this son that's going to come is going to topple the mighty from their thrones and exalt the lowly. If you ever want to see that happen, go to Daniel chapter 4. The greatest man living on the earth at that time was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had uttered some words that that there was no one greater, no one higher, no one more powerful than he. And God says, hey, I beg to differ with you, good old Nebi. You aren't that great. You ain't that marvelous. And because you think you're so great and so marvelous, I'm going to show you how little you really are. And God turned that man in a sound mind to become like that of a beast of the field. He would grow hair, he would grow talons, and he would go around eating grass. And God says, I'm going to teach you a lesson. You're not as great as you once thought you were. And in Daniel 4.37, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to his sound mind, and this is what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven, because all his works are true and all his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. You see, Mary's song is a reminder, listen to me very carefully, you're not the boss, Mary's song is a reminder that you're not the greatest thing in the world. Mary's song is a reminder that the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus is the greatest. He's the indescribable gift that heaven gave us, even though we didn't deserve it. And so be careful this morning that the world that you live in, even in your little realm of of, uh, ownership, that you aren't the God of that universe but that you walk humbly before the Lord and recognize that your life and breath and everything you have is a gift from Almighty and a reminder that Jesus is the only one who deserves that place. Number three, he fills the hungry. He satisfies the hungry with good things and sends away the rich empty, verse 53 says. Mary's song is a reminder that if you want to draw close to God, Don't go with your credentials. Come with your hands wide open. God has his ear to the brokenhearted. God longs to set the captive free. God's church should be a church not of people who boast about what they are doing, but that are boasting and praising and adoring the things that God is doing through them. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. Mary's song, in fact, Mary's life is a reminder that the little people in the world are the ones who God is going to use to change it. There's not a singular person in the story of the first Christmas that was all that well-known, that was all that powerful. And God would use the Zacharias and the Elizabeths, the Anna and, and Simeons, the, the Joseph and Marys, the shepherds. And he would usher in the greatest occurrence that this world has ever seen. You think you're small? You think you're little? You're exactly where God wants you to be. So when he comes calling, even though you're scared and filled with anxiety, Accept his calling. Accept it with gladness in your heart. 
knowing that if he could do that with a young peasant girl, then he can do anything he wants because there's nothing impossible with God. Make that resonate in your heart this week as we celebrate the real reason for this season. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and I pray for this congregation. I pray that, that we would be humble servants, that we'd be willing to, to um, listen to your call when you come. And Lord, you may not come with an angel. You may come with a still but small voice. Maybe as we open your word, you, your spirit begins to resonate in our hearts the things that you've called us to. Maybe you'll speak through someone else who will say, this is the role for you. Lord, I pray that we would be open to that calling. And we would recognize that you're the powerful one. You're the one who's able to do all things. Even though it's impossible with us, it's never impossible for you. And Lord, I pray that when we do those things, just as Mary did, that, that she would not, uh, as she did not, and that we would not put the attention on ourselves. Look at all that I'm doing. Look how great I am. But that we, as Mary did, would ponder and treasure up all the things that God was doing in her heart. So Lord, as you use us, Remind us that we are small people, but you use small people. And when you allow our name to be great, when you allow the spotlight to fall onto us, that we would turn it back to you. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us as a people. I pray that that would be true of us as a church. So send us forth from this place with a song in our heart, the song of faithful Mary, who reminds us that there's nothing in this world that's impossible for you. Thank you that you are the God of the impossible. Now send us forth with, with great faith and trust in that truth so we can accomplish all that you have for us today. It's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray these things. Amen and amen.